will start off by saying, I don't believe you're here by accident. Thank God brought you here for a special reason today to be in this series, part two of it, called Don't Do Life Alone. We, uh, it's unfortunate because many of us, that's exactly where we're at. We are doing life alone, and it's not God's best for you. So this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of not doing your thoughts alone. And the reason I think this is important, even if you're here and you don't believe in the Bible or trust in Jesus or even know about God or any of those things, is because your thought life is the one thing that can keep you from living a full and happy life. Your thoughts are the one thing that could be keeping you from living a life on purpose and with purpose and with significance and joy and and what you're thinking about really will dictate where you will go. I guess I can say it this way. Your life is moving the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is moving the direction of your strongest thoughts. So let me ask you a question. Are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? Are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? Because I would contend that for most people, the answer is no. Like, think about how many suicides we've had just in the entertainment industry recently. People who had everything that the world would say would make them happy. Money, power, fame, sexual prowess, and yet they cut their own lives short. Just off the top of my head in my office this week, I was thinking Robin Williams, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington. Their thoughts led them to something very tragic. Even in your own life, think about how many thoughts of fear or what ifs held you back from something you wanted to do. Maybe you had a great business idea or maybe you wanted to ask that person on a date. Maybe you wanted to go on a ride or take some sort of adventure, but fear or thoughts of failure kept you from doing any number of things. What I'm hoping you'll discover today is that your negative thoughts don't have to control you. You don't have to be a product of self-loathing or fear. Your thoughts can take you in a divine direction, in a positive direction. You might jot this down if you're taking notes today. Here's the big idea. My one point of the sermon is that I'll never change my life until God changes how I think. Not going to change my life until God changes how I think. I know for my own life, every significant milestone I've had, God had to change how I thought. For example, my top three priorities in life, I want to bring glory to God, first and foremost. And then I want to love Laura well. I want to be a good husband. And then I want to be a good dad. I want, I want my kids to grow up having an awesome dad. Now that sounds all good today, but I can assure you, you can ask anybody that knew me in my 20s, none of those were my priorities. I was not bringing glory to God with how I was living. I was telling people, I ain't ever getting married. There's no chance I'm having kids. So what happened? God just started chipping away at what I believed about each one of those things. He's still doing it today. I'm sure you can think about areas of your own life where God has challenged your thought life and your beliefs and you're a different person because of it. But even if you're not ready to admit that, that's okay. The secular world has picked up on this idea about the power of thought. Businesses have consistently marketed their products based on how you would feel how you, the customer, will feel while using them. They target your emotions so that you'll be compelled to buy whatever it is they're selling. What are they doing? Asking you to change how you see a product. 
how you think about a product. In the end, they want you to believe that you'll never have a different outcome until you change your perspective and use whatever it is they want to sell you. Now, as a pastor, what I find interesting about this idea, about changing how you think and figuring out a different perspective, is that's actually one of the central themes of the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll see this word repent over and over and over throughout all of Scripture. And that word literally means to change your mind. It's talking about your thought life. I can show you a couple examples of these for sake of time. I just picked one from your Old Testament, one from your New Testament to show you. This is throughout Scripture, but check this out. Ezekiel 18.30 reads, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And then your New Testament, Matthew four seventeen, Jesus says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I literally could have picked hundreds of verses for you to show you that word repent, but here's what you really need to know. Your Old Testament was primarily written in a language called Hebrew. The Hebrew word for Old Testament there in that Ezekiel passage, it's the, it's the word shim vav bet. Isn't that a great word? Shim vav bet. It's three letters. That's what blows my mind. SWB. I put it there in your notes. There's no quiz on that, but uh, it's a fun word. Your, your New Testament, again, primarily written in Greek. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia. So if you're interested in that thing, like I said, they're in your notes, but, but they really mean to change your mind, to, to change how you think about something, to change your direction. In other words, repentance is first about changing how you think, not what you do. So for us to move forward today, we first have to change the way we think about our thoughts and how we think about God. Because watch this, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing how you think. You got to change how you think. Now, what I love about that is this isn't about me changing me. This is about God renewing my mind changing me and stopping all the negative thoughts, replacing them with godly truth. Really, the best news here is that isn't about me becoming a better version of myself. This is about God making me new. Ezekiel said the same thing. You can become new. Now, watch what happens when God makes you new. I think this is a big misunderstanding within Christian thought today. Uh, look at this, Psalm sixteen eleven. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And John 10, 10, I've come in order that you might have life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus said, that you would have life to the full. So, so God's newness in you, it leads to your ultimate joy. I feel like I say this every week, but God's not trying to keep anything from you. The oldest lie any person has ever believed was that God was somehow holding out on them. But it's not true. Yet it's how we think. 
we think about that, that something, even today, that God's trying to keep something from us, and I'm just going to miss out on something, but that proves my point. Really, so much of life isn't about what happens to you, but rather how you think about what happens to you. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that there is ultimate joy found in God? I don't know if you'd be able to articulate this, but I know the reason why you made some dumb decisions is because you thought if you didn't do it, you'd be missing out on something good. Or the goodness in making that decision was that people around you wouldn't make fun of you for not doing whatever it is that you decided to do. You thought it would be a good experience. So you didn't want to be rejected by people. Tell me it's not true. It's likely why you drank the first time. It's likely why you've experimented with sexual things, why you've cheated in business, why you've worked long hours, why you have unrealistic expectations, why you fight with your spouse. I could go on and on. You feel like any one of those things is going to give you something that it can't give you, whether that be comfort, safety, power, joy, significance, whatever else. You're looking to those things for that. You didn't believe God was giving you those things, so you thought you'd be better off looking elsewhere. So listen to me. If you want things like stress-free living, peace, living with destiny and purpose, then you have to start with God and you have to change how you think about God. You need to realize that God is only good and as the creator and designer of the world, he knows what's best for you. That being said, Let's look at what God has to say about how we can change the way we think. And let's see what God says about doing our thoughts alone. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. If you're using a phone, whatever, that's fine. Turn or click to Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you something that I think is going to help us all move forward with our thoughts and changing how we think. I honestly believe this could be the best year of your life if you'll change how you think about some things. So Matthew 4 will be right in verse 1. Here we go. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, a couple things jump out at me here. First of all, notice that the devil's only motivation is deception. That's what the word temptation means, to deceive. But he also, I want you to notice that it was only when Jesus was by himself that the devil showed up. When did the devil leave? When the angels came and started ministering to Jesus. See, the devil wants to get you isolated. 
have you start doing life by yourself so that his temptations will look more appealing. When you're surrounded by other positive influences, his temptations uh, don't look as appealing, so he doesn't waste his time with you. In fact, the Bible says that the devil's like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you all watch Discovery Channel or National Geographic when they have these like lion shows on and they're hunting for things, but, but who do lions go after? It's not the pack of prey. It's like the young, sickly one that gets separated, and they're all by himself, and that's when lions wait for that one so they can go pounce on it. Same thing's true for your enemy, the tempter. He wants you thinking thoughts by yourself. He wants you believing things that you otherwise wouldn't believe. He wants you thinking that you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Doggone it, nobody likes you, right? I mean, even SNL picked up on this. Some of you were not with me on that. That hurts me to know that. But uh, what do we do? What do we do about this idea of getting isolated and doing thoughts on our own? I think the first thing that we have to do is identify our enemies and the lies that they're telling us so we can launch a counterattack. I mean, we're not Jesus, so I don't think it would be super helpful for me to say, well, just do what Jesus did, quote Scripture, you're fine. It's not going to help us moving forward today. I, I think there's some other things that we can do. We can be more practical than that. So the first thing that we have to do is identify our enemies. The devil's not your only enemy. The Bible talks about this uh, repeatedly. It says that there's three enemies, and you can see the devil is one of them, but uh, the devil also tempts with all these other enemies. Here's your first enemy. He tempts Jesus with the flesh. We see that in this story. That's an enemy, the flesh. Well, what is the flesh, pastor? Jesus has been fasting. He's hungry. Satan says, bro, just get yourself some bread. Turn, turn these stones into some loaves of bread. Nothing sinful about that. And really, that's true. There would be nothing sinful and wrong with Jesus eating some food. Nothing sinful or wrong about him commanding stones to become bread. This is kind of where knowing your Bible becomes helpful because what Satan is doing here is telling Jesus to use your power for yourself. It would be the only time in Scripture where Jesus used his power to help himself. We'll come back to that idea, but the same thing is true for you. You have an enemy. The enemy is your flesh. And how do we know if something is fleshly in nature? It's entirely about you. It's you doing things for yourself. Use your power for yourself. Use your money for yourself. Use your influence to better yourself. Do everything you can to have a more comfortable life for yourself. Why? This is a lie that you'll believe and start justifying because I'm afflicted. I'm afflicted. Something's happened to me. I deserve this. I deserve that. This is what we think. For Jesus, he was afflicted with hunger. He'd been fasting for 40 days, which means he hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. Needless to say, food was tempting. Many of you know that every January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting as an initiative here at the church. This past January, I actually uh, fasted for 10 days with no food. I just did 10 days of water. And those first few nights, I started dreaming about food and tasting it in my sleep. And it wasn't even good food. Like, I dreamt about a Pop-Tart. What? 
I woke up, I was like, why not like a fajita or something, a Pop-Tart? But my son had been talking about Pop-Tarts that day for whatever reason. And so that night, I tasted the Pop-Tart in my sleep. It was dreadful. But nonetheless, Jesus is 40 days without food, not a measly 10. I'm sure the stone looked good at that point. It's like, come on, Jesus, you deserve this. You put your body through 40 days, no food. You're afflicted. You're the victim here. Eat some food. What is it for you that you think you're afflicted by, that you deserve something? Could be food. Some of you probably are eating things that you shouldn't be eating or drinking things you shouldn't be drinking, and you're the victim. You need to do what makes you feel good. And who cares? The Bible doesn't say anything about Oreos being sinful. At least that's what the flesh wants you to believe. The Bible doesn't say you can't smoke or drink or how far is too far or what should we wear. But the Bible doesn't strictly forbid a lot of things, does it? The Bible doesn't tell me I can't text and drive, but some things are just dumb and you shouldn't do them. So we can't believe everything we think. That's actually our counter attack. We can't believe everything you think. Jesus said, I don't need that food. I'm not afflicted. I've got the word of God. For some of you, your issue is you're not trusting God's word. You're believing what you think. And it's dangerous. Listen to me. The reason why so-called self-help books are the number one selling book of any subject matter or genre is because they don't work. Have you thought about that? selling thousands upon millions of copies of these self-help books, there would only be need to be one if it worked because you'd read it and you'd be fixed. But the problem is, you're the problem. And so you can't fix yourself. You need something outside of yourself because your change is dependent upon your ability to carry it out. Whereas with God, God is about doing the work. He wants to transform you. So you got to stop believing every thought. God's not sending you negative thoughts. God's not asking you to make your life better or more comfortable for yourself. It's the enemy. It's the flesh. That's you. I'll never change my life until God changes how I think. And God wants you to know you're not afflicted. You're not a victim. You have power in God. God wants to give you life to the full. Bible says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God will give you a way out of it. You have power. Stop believing everything you think. Test it with God's word. That's what Jesus did. Satan quoted scripture to him, but Jesus knew not to take things out of context, and he took scripture and quoted it back to his enemy. You have an enemy. The enemy is your flesh, and it wants to make everything about you. If you want to beat that enemy, you can't believe everything you think because you're part of the problem. Here's our second enemy. We see it in verse 8. The devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all the world. The Bible also talks about the world being an enemy in other parts of Scripture. could have shown you a dozen verses that talk about that, how you can't fall in love with this world. For the sake of time, what you really need to hear me say is that our biggest problem with our thinking today is the infatuation with the here and now. Like our biggest issue with our thoughts today is our inability to delay gratification. I want what I want when I want it. 
And so the world, with all its trinkets and toys and entertainment, it's a deception. It's a lie from the devil. It's meant to take your eyes off of the world to come. Don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of good things meant for your enjoyment because God wants you to enjoy life. But some of these good things are destroying our lives because we can't think in terms of eternity. Listen to me. This world is a preparation for the next. It's not about obtaining everything you want. It's about being on a mission from God, finding fullness of life in Him. We are aliens in this world. Yet too many of us are falling in love with it. C.S. Lewis talks about how you're falling in love with a mud puddle when there's a whole ocean waiting for you that you have yet to explore. It goes back to the idea that we can't believe everything we think. Just because we think we need something doesn't actually mean we do. Look at what Satan does with Jesus here. He says, you can have all this, this whole world. Except the irony of all this is Jesus gifts the whole world. We read that in Revelation. He's crowned king of the earth. So what's Satan really doing? Satan is saying, Jesus, you can have the crown without the cross. He's tempting Jesus to be an example instead of our substitute. He's saying, Jesus, you don't have to let people be saved by faith. They can be saved by emulation. Show them your power. Don't come in weakness. Come in strength. Make people do stuff. Not simply trust you. Again, it's the same lie the devil wants you to believe today. He'll say crazy things like, if you are a son or daughter of God, this shouldn't be happening to you. You need to do something to earn God's love. He must be mad at you. What's the lie he's telling you? He's saying you can do it alone. That's a lie. Told Jesus, you can do this alone. He wants you to do it alone too. You don't have to do this, Jesus, you don't have to do this God's way. Do this yourself. You have power. That's the lie of the world, that I'm alone. And when you're alone, you start believing crazy stuff like you're the only one who's going through this. Nobody else knows what it's like to have an abortion or go through a divorce or be cheated on or lose everything or file bankruptcy or be addicted. Those are just things that I knew about people in this room. So listen to me. You're not the only one who's going through any of these things. The world wants you to believe that since you're alone, you just better keep working hard at doing things by yourself. For goodness sake, don't tell anybody. Think about what people would, how they'd look at you if they knew this about you. It's the world's way of thinking. Go it alone. Isn't that the American way of thinking? You're a pioneer. Do this yourself. It's not God's way. What's the counterattack? Invite people to process your thoughts. That's what you have to do. Invite godly people in to process your thoughts. Now, you have to be careful with this. You can't just invite anybody in. You can't trust everybody with your thoughts. But this is why I'm so passionate about you getting into a small group, about you finding friends and developing relationships with people that you can trust and so that you can invite them in to process your thoughts. You can ask them questions. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, have you ever been through this? Hey, how would you handle this? Furthermore, this is why I'm so passionate about you growing spiritually and learning to discern the voice of God and, and what's you and what's God. Because the reality is, is if you prayed as much as you worried, you'd have a lot less to worry about. Come on, somebody. 
You've got to learn how to go to God. You've got to learn how to invite people in. So let me give you this last enemy real quick. Really, it's the enemy I've been talking about the whole time. That's the devil. I talk about him last because sometimes I think we give the devil a little bit too much power in our lives. We like to say the devil made me do it, but the reality is the devil can't make you do anything. Sometimes we're ascribing power to the wrong D word. Sometimes it's not the devil. It was our decisions. We were the problem, not the devil. It was our love of the flesh, or it was our love for the world that made us do it. But we can see the devil is an enemy. He's lying to you. He's trying to deceive you. And the last lie I think that he wants you to believe is that you're abandoned. God's abandoned you. He's not with you. God doesn't care about you. This is all up to you. He says, Jesus, if God loved you, you wouldn't even scrape your feet on a stone. God would send angels to help you. I know he's saying the same thing to you. It's why you struggle with why bad things have happened to you. It's why you struggle with evil being in the world. You feel like God abandoned you. Where was God when these things were happening to you? And here's the reality. You need to see what God actually says about things. He says two important things I want to share with you. John sixteen thirty three. In the world, you will have tribulation. Take heart. Overcome the world. It's back to what I was talking about. You've got to get your eyes off the here and now. You've got to start looking to eternity. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Pretty definitive language that the authors are using there, is it not? You will have trouble. We know that all things, those bad things, all things work together for good. So here's your counterattack to the lie that you've been abandoned by God, that, that these bad things must have happened because God's nowhere to be found. Here's the counterattack. I must allow God to grow my thoughts. You must allow God to grow your thoughts. In other words, you're not God. So you can stop pretending like you need an answer for everything. At some point, you just have to let God be God and know that he's working things out for good. It's a faith issue. And you might not have an answer on this side of eternity. And at the end of the day, if you really want God to grow your thought life, then you have to go to the place that God speaks. And the primary place that God speaks is right here in his word. When you open your Bible, God literally opens his mouth. If I haven't made you mad yet, I'm going to go ahead and take the opportunity to do so now. And I'm going to tell you that you can't watch TV for three hours and read your Bible for three minutes, and expect God to grow your thoughts. Doesn't work that way. Do you know the average teen is going to spend nine hours a day on some sort of electronic device? Whether that be TV, video games, cell phone, whatever it is. Nine hours a day. Do you know that the average worker is going to spend 30 minutes on social media without the course, within the course of their work day? Getting paid to check the face box and the tweets and all that. It's not growing more godly. Just have a hard time believing that's what God's going to use considering for 2,000 years of human history since Jesus came, 10,000 years or whatever it is before that, that that's how we all of a sudden he's going to start speaking to us now. The rest of human history hasn't had those luxuries. And yet this is how we feel like God is going 
to speak to us. Bottom line is simply this. I'm never going to change my life until God changes how I think. If you get nothing else, I say you have to get this. That you can't say no to the devil. You can't say no to your flesh. You can't say no to this world if you haven't said yes to Jesus. He's the only one that gives you the power to overcome these enemies and these lies that you're believing. Your first step in changing the way you think is about accepting Jesus. It's about repenting, which is why I started the way I did this morning. It's about realizing that there is something keeping you apart from God. The Bible calls it sin. Sin is literally keeping you out of the presence of God. The same God who wants to give you the fullness of joy and the fullness of life. You've done things to separate yourself from God. Things that you've done to try and find fulfillment that they were never created to give you. And the only way to get to God is to believe that Jesus isn't just some example to follow, but rather He's a Savior to be worshipped who wants to give you a new life. He lived a life that you couldn't live so that by trusting in Him, you could be made right with God. And the best news I could possibly give you is that God wants to make you new. He doesn't want some different version of you. It has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything to do with Jesus. So I would be hard-pressed this morning if I didn't give you a chance before you leave today to say no to all these other things, the devil, the world, the flesh, and say yes to Jesus. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to be made new, to change your life. The Bible says just confess in your heart, repent, and believe, and you'll be saved. So I'd invite you just to follow with me in this prayer. Say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry, I've looked elsewhere for fulfillment. I'm sorry I've sinned, but I believe in Jesus, that He died for me, that He rose from the dead, and because of that, I'm new. Help me today to change how I think and live for you. Give me the power you promised. God, I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity to have new life. God, I just want to pray us and ask for you to send your spirit in a powerful way to help change how we think. Help us stop falling in love with this world. Help us stop making life about ourselves. God, help each person here today to learn how to hear your voice. To change how they think about things like evil and and hurts and negative thoughts. and, And understand that you have their best interest in mind. That there is fullness of joy found in you if they'll just seek you above all else. God, whoever's battling some spiritual thoughts right now, I just ask that you 
break down those strongholds. Pray a spiritual blessing over each person here today. That they'll leave this place made new. That they'll change their negative patterns in life. And you will replace them with godly truth. Declare this in Jesus' name. Amen.